0: An awesome God. He rules in heaven and earth. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God if we're in a right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Today we're going to look at a church where Jesus sent a written message. The church at Thyatira. Now, before we begin, let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would come with mighty power that you would move in our hearts and unveil anything that is displeasing to you. For, Lord, the cry of our heart is that we would be pleasing to our Lord and that you would speak through us, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, today, there are many fights we can participate in. And all of them beckon us and say, please come, please enter this battle. We need you. We need your money. We need your time. We need your energy. We need you. But What are just a few of those battles? Well, there's the political battle between Democrats and Republicans. There's the battle between liberal and and conservatives. There are those who are patriots and preppers. There's the issue of voting rights. There's a whole battle going on over, should we be a part of the United Nations, or is it the wicked power? Is it the base of Antichrist? There are financial wars going on with the Federal Reserve. There are issues regarding the economy that are very troubling. Inflation, which is simply the Federal Reserve stealing from people, using worthless paper dollars to buy up your land, your properties. It's very troubling to me that large institutions with a great deal of money are buying up single-family homes so they can make money renting them out at exorbitant rates to you and to me. I am paying an exorbitant rent for the townhouse that I live in. The neighbor... A townhouse just like mine entered into a bidding war last week and the rent was boosted way beyond even what I'm paying. And there's no relief in sight. It just keeps going up. Then there's the the war on poverty, on homelessness. I have great Concern and sympathy for people who are homeless. And I personally help homeless people as I'm able to, as the Lord gives me the ability to. Then there are the racial wars, Black Lives Matter, and Antifa, and other factions. There's the issue of women's rights. Many of these issues that I've identified, I have some very strong feelings about. But I don't enter the fray over these issues. I don't enter the fray of being a Democrat or a Republican. There's another battle that to me is much more important. And that's the battle for the kingdom of God. I come to you with a very clear message day by day, and that is, Jesus is Lord. Literally, Jesus is Lord. And my concern is to help you escape this earth by becoming righteous before God, by having your sins forgiven, removed, wiped out, and you being transformed into a new creature in Christ Jesus, one who will not be tolerant of evil, but who has a heart of compassion and love. I'm not interested in the modern churches, seeker-sensitive, entertainment centers, businesses, institutions. I'm not interested in them. Long ago, I totally left behind denominationalism because today denominationalism has become politicized. And I want nothing to do with the political war that has gone on between the Anglicans and the Episcopals or in the Methodist Church or in many other churches. I simply don't want to be a part of that constant struggle with the powers of darkness. I remember when I was in seminary, my professor of Greek and New Testament theology was a very dear friend. He was an Australian. And after I graduated, I discovered that he was involved in promoting homosexuality in the church because he believed that love demanded that we accept everyone as they were unconditionally and including placing them in positions of leadership. When I left denominationalism, The conference, and this is a holiness church, the conference sent a lesbian to take over the church that I left, a church with some 300 people in it at that time. Within two years, it had been totally destroyed and people were gone. There are many fights, many wars, many battles that we can engage in. But there is one battle I'm interested in. And I have given myself completely to fight. And that is to fight for the kingdom of heaven. I don't fight against flesh and blood. I don't fight with with people. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And believe me, there is wickedness in high places. And the battle is on. So what is my place in that battle? Well, my place in that battle is not to condemn. My place in that battle is to call you and to call others to be reconciled to Jesus Christ, to turn aside from all wickedness and all compromise, and be serious about Jesus. That's the cry of my heart. Listen again to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not the ministry of unconditional love. Not the ministry of of tolerance. But he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that is to bring a man and a woman, a boy or a girl, into right relationship with Jesus Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us so that in him we might become the righteousness or the innocence of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So that's how I come to this broadcast. We're going to come back to this passage in the second book of Corinthians, the sixth chapter, but that'll be at the conclusion of today's message. Now, please understand I am an intolerant person, I do not consider tolerance to be love. I will not tolerate sin or wickedness. But I'm not going to fight with people. I'm going to fight in the prayer closet. I'm going to cry out to God. And I'm going to speak forthrightly in those places and in those ways that the Lord gives me the opportunity. And I'm going to call men and women to be reconciled to God. To make peace with God, not to make peace with the world, the flesh, or the devil. To make peace with God. Now, this raises a very difficult question in our day. And that is, is there such a thing as absolute truth? And my answer to that is yes. And frankly, in today's world, we hate absolute truth and at the same time we love absolute truth as long as that absolute truth is what i believe and what i think no my experience does not establish truth truth is established as a person his name is jesus He is the only means by which we enter into the Father. We don't enter in by means of intellectual dialogue or discussion or belief. We enter into the kingdom of God only through the door. And Jesus Christ is that door. Now, what makes us uncomfortable with absolute truth is that we see it as a way to reduce our choice. In other words, if there is absolute truth, that limits me on what I can do and what I can believe. For example, in the Garden of Eden, the absolute truth was the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. The fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Eve did not agree with that. She didn't believe it. She believed that if she ate that fruit, she would become wise. She would be free to make her own choices about what was right and wrong. And besides, it would be a pleasant experience. She ate the fruit with her husband and immediately their connection with the Holy Spirit was severed and they discovered they were naked and they were ashamed and they now hid from God. And some years later, their physical body also died. So that absolute truth that was given to them, if you eat of this tree, you will die, limited their ability to eat from that tree without consequence There are consequences for every action. I was speaking yesterday with a gentleman, and he was describing for me his belief system that we are all on a journey, and we must each respect the journey of each other. Interpreted to mean we must be tolerant of everybody's journey, because each makes their journey. What he was saying was, everybody's journey has the same value. And we can't lift one journey up as being more important or better than another journey. Now, because he believes that, does that make it true? Absolutely no. He is not the one who gets to determine the value of a journey. So I will be on the earth for the time from my birth date, July 15, 1945, until my death, or until Jesus comes. Now that's called the time span of my journey on the earth. If in that journey... I enter into the kingdom of God, as I have. And I enter into Jesus, as I have. And my values are not to engage in all of the fights that I've described, but rather to stand for the kingdom of Jesus. I'm not saying it's wrong to be involved in any of these battles if God calls you to it. Abortion is a very worthwhile battle to engage in, for the life of these babies. And every Christian should be desperately concerned about abortion and cry out to God and do whatever the Holy Spirit calls you to do, for the kingdom of God is not about murder. It's about righteousness. But you hear what I'm saying. If I live my journey... And another man lives his journey, and he lives in perversion and uncleanness. He does not live for the kingdom of God, but rather lives for the kingdom of darkness. Does his life have the same value as my life? No, it doesn't. Why? Because there is an absolute truth in Jesus Christ and he is the one who gives a man's journey value, or he is the one who will judge that journey and cast some men into the fire of hell while taking other men and moving them into the kingdom of God in the paradise of God. In other words, actions mean something. Now, the modern church wants to come and say, we are saved by faith alone we don't have to do anything we are saved we are predestined to be saved and and once you're saved you can't be lost well they're lying to you they're saying that the journey doesn't really matter what matters is that you have the stamp of approval you said yes I'll believe in Jesus and yes he's my he's my savior you don't even have to say he's your lord Just, he's my savior. Wrong. It's nonsense. It's illogical. It's against the word of God. So what I'm trying to say is, as we come to this church in Thyatira, it's a heartbreaking church to me. There's some very positive things about it, but there's also some very negative things. and. I want to say to you, church history tells us that by the second century, the church at Thyatira had closed. Now, there is a church in Thyatira. It's not Thyatira today, but in that geographic area, there is a Christian church, but it's not the church that was founded in Thyatira originally. That church by the second century had totally disappeared. Now let's go to Revelation, the second chapter. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, that is, to the pastor of the church in Thyatira. These are the words of the Son of God. Now that immediately grabbed my attention because this is Jesus speaking and his favorite title for himself is Son of Man. But he is not coming here as the son of man. He is coming here as God himself, whose eyes are a blazing fire and whose feet are burnished bronze, bronze symbolizing judgment, blazing fire, meaning piercing right through, seeing every aspect of a person's heart or life. He's coming to Thyatira as God himself. I know your deeds. See, the Lord is not going to judge you at the end of time based on what you say, even though that will be one of your deeds. He's going to judge you based on what you have done. Have you spent your life for the kingdom of God, or have you spent your life for your own kingdom? He says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, that you're now doing more than you did at first. In other words, this is a church that was very actively reaching out to their community. Maybe they were having homeless dinners. Maybe they were visiting the sick. I don't know what their programs were. We're not told in church history, but they were a very active church and they were doing it out of a heart of love. But if you recognize that today in the modern church, the battle that's going on in the Anglican church with the Episcopal church was over what the Episcopal people would call love that is unconditional love, that everyone is equal and we can't judge others' behavior and that homosexuality is righteous before God. It's a matter of love and you can love anybody you want to love because love is first and foremost and that it's unloving to not ordain homosexual bishops. And the Anglican people said, No, the African Anglican people said, no, we won't support that. Jesus in verse 20 says, nevertheless, I have this against you. It is of vital concern that the church today ask the question, does God have anything against us? And the answer is, absolutely he does so much so that his Holy Spirit has basically departed from the American church. Now, there are a few places where the Spirit of God is still moving, but they are not the majority. Notice, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, if you go to the book of 1 Kings chapter 21, you find the story of The ancient Jezebel, who was the wife of King Ahab, one of the most wicked kings of Israel. And Jezebel was an incredibly wicked woman who, if you had spoken with her, would have said, I'm a woman of love. And these prophets of God are haters. Elijah is a hater, he killed my prophets the prophets of Baal. He's against prosperity. Well, this woman, whoever she was, I don't know if she was named Jezebel or if this is a, a reference back in character to the ancient Jezebel, but this woman called herself a prophetess. And by her teachings, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Well, I don't know quite how she was pulling that off, but I do have a suggestion. The Church of Thyatira was known as the headquarters for many guilds. Guilds in that day were legal organizations for controlling the crafts. There was a guild for the dyeing of cloth. You remember Lydia, one of the first converts to the Apostle Paul in Asia Minor, what is known as Turkey. Uh, She, in Philippi, is referred to in Acts 16.14 as having come from the city of Thyatira. Now there are other guilds there there's a potters guild that was there there's a tanners guild that was there there's a weavers guild you couldn't get into these various skill sets without serving as a a trainee in one of these guilds and then they would license you to function as a tanner or a a pottery maker or a bricklayer, whatever the skill was, there was a guild to accompany that. Now, had she begun recommending to the young men of her church that they join these guilds? You could not be a member of these guilds if you didn't if you didn't bow down and worship with the prostitutes, the temple prostitutes. And you couldn't join the guild if you didn't eat meat, the food if you didn't feast with them on the food offered to idols. So now the work was directly connected with the guilds and if you had to operate outside of the guilds you were either illegal or your income was dramatically cut back now i don't know if Jezebel was telling the men to join these guilds and to, and to just go along because After all, you've got to support your family. You want to get married. You've got to be able to support a wife and children. I don't know what the issues were. I just know that Jezebel, according to this message from Jesus, was encouraging compromise with darkness. Now, many who go into the military, particularly the Navy, but also the Army, the Air Force, the Marines. It's almost required that you socialize, that you drink alcohol. You get promotions in part by your connections and your friendship with others in the military. Some men have refused... That social life, and it has caused them to be drummed out of the service. I started my career as a pastor in the naval chaplaincy, but I would not go along with the alcohol consumption and the partying, and my only concern was to talk about Jesus. And my commanding officer finally said to me, Pastor, you should resign your commission and go take a church because you're not going to be promoted. You don't socialize in the right way with the men. And you only want to talk about Jesus. You're here to be a psychological officer, not to be a representative of Jesus. He was a Lutheran pastor. I liked him very much, but I knew he was right. And so after a period of time, I did resign my commission, sadly, and I took up a pastorate with the church. This is a huge issue. Are you tolerant of evil? Are you tolerant of deviant behaviors? Are you tolerant of of witchcraft, of occultism? Occultism is coming in with such sweeping power in America today. Are you aware of that? Did you have your children read the Harry Potter series? Then you were tolerant, for it is just plain witchcraft and has taught many children who today have become Wiccans or witches. You opened the door with your tolerance. Do you put your children in front of the television and use that as your babysitter? And while they're there, what are they seeing? Then you're tolerant. And Jesus comes to this church, and by her teaching, she's misleading my servants into sexual immorality, and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. And so in the second century, this church was gone. God's judgment came upon it, and the lampstand was removed from it, and it died. The church in America has utterly compromised with wickedness and darkness, and the church in America is dying. Churches are closing. Now, if you look in Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, I want to read a portion of this for you, because I want you to see that in Jesus' mind, Idolatry, that is, being tolerant of evil and allowing compromise with darkness, is the same as sexual immorality. Often in the scriptures, through the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and the minor prophets, they refer to compromise and tolerance as spiritual adultery. The church in America is in full blown spiritual adultery. And I've had some questions lately Should I belong to a church that's seeker sensitive? And my answer is pray. And I believe Jesus will say to you the same thing he said to me and to many others. Run. But separation is very painful. We are a people who don't like separation, we like things to stay in a normal pattern. Separation is extremely painful, and we can put up with a great deal of pain if we can avoid that separation. Are you willing to separate from the powers of darkness? Let me read this for you. I'll never forget the first time someone read this to me. I was astonished. Ezekiel 16, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and your birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked upon you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. Obviously, this is an allegory. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed, and your hair grew, and you were you were naked and bare. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you, I saw that you were old enough for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you. That is, he married, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with embroidered dresses and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen, covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. I put a ring in your nose and earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver, your clothes were fine linen, costly fabric, embroidered cloth, your food was fine flour, honey, and olive oil, you were very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your beauty and used your frame, your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by, and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. Such things should not happen, nor should they ever, ever occur. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. Read the whole chapter of Ezekiel 16. It's painful to read. It's in this passage of scripture and many others that idolatry, compromise, tolerance is looked upon by God as adultery, spiritual adultery. This morning as I was praying, I began to weep because I I recognize the pain and the anguish that I have caused Jesus by my behavior, by my arrogance and my hardness. I said, Lord, if if my arms were big enough, I would put my arms around you and just hold you. I am so broken and sorrowful for the pain I have caused, almighty God by my wickedness. The pain and anguish that the church has caused Almighty God. He died for us. But we seem to think that we can watch whatever we want to watch. We can go wherever we want to go. We can call ourselves Christians. but live in compromise and tolerance with wickedness. Thinking it doesn't really matter that much to God. You read the 16th chapter of Ezekiel and you'll find out how much it matters to God. Listen. I've given her time to repent of her immorality of her compromise with the world. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds, not reward each of you according to standing I'm saved by faith in Jesus, and he's covered over my sin. No, the sin has to be repented of, and it has to be removed by the blood of Jesus. It's Jesus who searches the hearts and the minds. I hear people say, when Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees himself. But the risen Lord says that's not correct. It says he searches the hearts and the minds and that he will repay every person for their behavior, for what they do, for the compromise they participate in. That's why I come, and I say, please, my brother my sister, we were not called to humanism. We were not called to humanitarian humanism. The church is not an NGO. We are the body of Jesus Christ. And we are called to be intolerant of evil. We are called to identify it. And to call people out of it. I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to our teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come to him who overcomes and does my will. It does not say to him who believes on my name and claims that I don't see him. It's to the overcomer. to the person who enters into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, who does the will of Jesus to the very end. He says, I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. That's where we're headed, to be rulers over kingdoms during the thousand years when the nations are still on the earth. He said, just as I've received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Well, who is the morning star? Is it the devil? He calls himself the morning star. No, Jesus is the morning star. He's saying, I will give myself to that person. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. Again, for the second time, does Jesus have something against you? I choose not to be involved in all of the battles. I choose Jesus and the battle for the kingdom of God. Well, we're out of time for today. I want to just come back very quickly and give you a report financially. Uh, yesterday, we were $2,000 short for this month. Today, we are $1,514.80 short. i like to give you the exact amount so you'll know how to gauge your giving. I thank those of you who give. David, thank you. Thank each one of you who has so kindly given for the work of the gospel. So right now we're $1,514.80 short of having the money for the radio broadcast. None of that money will come to me personally. I don't take salary from the National Prayer Chapel. It's for the work of the gospel. If the Lord is calling you and you care about this broadcast, would you contribute? You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. I'm just standing by faith that again this month, the Lord will cover the cost for this radio broadcast. I pray today's been helpful to you. I pray that today is turning your heart toward Jesus. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. the presence of his glory